evening, ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready for some laughs? Are you? Show me on the dial where the bad man touched you. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost. How the fuck am I funny? And Dave Martin. What have we got here? A fucking comedian. Can you dig it? All right, here we go again. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost. This is the week of October 17th, 2012. We are coming to you like we do every single week here from the XM Studios in downtown Toronto. Uh, right beside me, we are uh, Christina Walkinshaw-less. And yes. uh, I'm your uh, co-host, Dave Martin. And right beside me is uh, Darren Frost. How are you, Darren? I am good. Uh, I was a weekend in Ottawa. Both myself and uh, David were uh, there. <laughs> yeah, you, you can, doing, you can uh, just say me. Yeah, yeah, All me right. and you. Uh, you and I, the correct uh, grammar. Uh, we're in Ottawa for the weekend doing shows and uh, this weekend I'm doing in the downtown Toronto Yuck Yucks uh, from Wednesday to Sunday so these were kind of shows ramping up for my headline week in Toronto so uh, that was uh, somewhat exciting uh, the shows were a bit hammer fightish, wouldn't you say Dave wouldn't you say they were kind of weird yeah, some of them were um, I was going back and forth between the uh, downtown one and the Prescott so I didn't uh, I, I didn't I didn't really witness any of the hammer fighting that you right. had to go through afterwards right. but I, I've seen enough that I can reenact it in my head well I think anytime uh, an audience member pukes on the floor while the show's going on that's a good indicator how mm-hmm. drunk they were but you know what you know, most I was most surprised that uh, a you didn't catch on to the right. puking until someone told you the next yes, day yes yeah and also the puking wasn't very disruptive because a you didn't notice it right. and there wasn't an amount of audience members around the puking where they were like oh my god I can't believe this woman just puked that's during because, the show that's because I was so amazing uh, at getting focused that people even near her didn't even know she puked. Because they're like, if I turn away from the angry troll, I'm going to miss something. So they didn't see the puke. Was it a uh, a particular joke that caused her to vomit? Uh, might have been. It might have been an image. I mean, there was definitely moments where I heard, uh, 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 like when I was doing some of my jokes. So uh, when someone said that she puked, you know, the, the, the scenario was 20 people were having a birthday party in a, in a crowd of 70. They tried to control the show. And, uh, they you didn't know, try that hard. They, you know, they were talking and yelling, and, and I just started getting angrier and angrier and, uh, you know, saying stupid things like, you know, there's no art in this town, and I'm in a basement comedy club, put a gun in my mouth, and did you all get a card that says, hey, let's fuck with the comic? And then as I cry, the girl from my love from afar in high school jumped on stage and started to fist me, and I just said a whole bunch of horrible, horrible things in a row, which they all laughed at. I didn't ever get that kind of moment of like, oh, that's too much. They were just laughing at whatever. Shiny, shiny, yell, angry troll, yell. I see. See, I, uh, I took the route of grinding the show to a halt and saying, you know, this table really has to shut the fuck up. Right. And uh, it didn't. It wasn't. There was one table that applauded that because sure. maybe they were disturbing other people. But uh, I think the weekend was wrapped up uh, in a nice bow on the Saturday late show when uh, the MC Scott Dumas asked the crowd, uh, "Hey, has anyone else been to a yuck yuck show before?" And immediately, some woman in the audience yelled out, "She just got engaged." <laughs> but you're just like, oh fuck! Let's can yeah. I wipe my ass with this show now? Yeah, it's just it was like one she of those... just got engaged at a very big comedy club on the other side of Ottawa, actually, uh, yeah, giant yuck yucks. That's what it's called. She just got engaged. It's just for people who got engaged at comedy club. Well, it was like that one time I was in uh, Kitchener. Quite frankly, one of the only good clubs, uh, or one of the better clubs, run uh, as a part of the yuck yucks chain, in my opinion, uh, and. I think it might have been, I forget who he was even on stage, but someone yelled out about 15 minutes into the show, uh, hey, it's my birthday. Yeah. 
because they were sort of upset that yeah. no one had gone into the audience asking. Well, first of all, comedians do not give a shit about whose no, birthday. No, I could care less. It's of course, man. It's just one of those nice ways to sort of get the crowd kind of involved. But right. it can work as a double-edged sword because then it almost invites people to be a part of the show. It's just a shitty way to get people in the audience. It's, I understand from the club level. It's like have a birthday, enjoy your birthday here, and it's just a, a quick and easy way to get more than a, you know an average sized group out to a comedy club. But that ramification is then you have to you know try to ride this ten-headed dragon all the way through the show, and it doesn't help the show. And in the end, you kind of kill the comedy club by catering to these large groups because you can't do what you want to do. Like for me, Thursday was great. I did all my new jokes. I had a lot of fun. Friday and Saturday, all the other shows were all either hammer fights or shiny, shiny, yell angry troll, and I don't benefit from that. I mean, yeah, people enjoyed themselves. I know that's the end result, but that's not the end result for me. I want people to enjoy themselves, but I don't want to have to be a babysitter. And when it becomes more babysitting than comedy, it's like, eh, fuck, I don't want to go back. Well, I enjoyed the shows of the Prescott, but uh, one of the, I kind of said to that, uh, was it the Friday crowd that had the, the, the yes, Friday, yeah. puking and... I just kind of said to him, listen, just go and find a karaoke club. Yeah. You know, you can be the star of your own show, yeah. but the show that people pay to see is up here, so shut the fuck up. Yeah. And uh, I don't care I, that I, your parents I, fucked I, on this day and or you had, you know, had gave birth to you this day. I don't care. Well, it's fine if they care, but they don't have to get the rest of the crowd involved. And right. Most likely the rest of the crowd doesn't care. Right. Go to like, fucking Eastside Mary's where they'll bring a candle cake and sing to you. Well, yeah, just find a karaoke place. Be your own show. Um we uh, recorded a number of interviews. Yes, uh, we did. This yeah. weekend, uh, who did we who did we end up talking? We, uh, to? we interviewed uh, Don Kelly, who I've tried to get on the show for a few years. He's the host of a show called Fish Out of Water on the APTN uh, network, right. and we also interviewed Rick Curry, who's one of the writers for the Rick Mercer Report. Uh, we interviewed uh, a comedy club owner there for 30 years because we wanted to talk about how Ottawa, his name is Howard Wegman, uh, we interviewed him because Ottawa is almost like a second-tier uh, city for comedy, but a lot of uh, good comedies come out of that town. It's almost like a Boston or Chicago compared to New York and, and L.A. for America, for Canada, so we did that. Well, who, who's come out of Ottawa? Norm MacDonald, Mike Norm McDonald, Mike McDonald, anyone named with last name McDonald. Tracy McDonald. Tracy McDonald. Uh, uh, one of our guests today, Casey Corbin, started out of Ottawa. Scott Dumas, we worked with this weekend did Jeremy Hotz, Jeremy Hotz uh, Dom Perret, um Don Kelly Wafik Nazarella like lots of Canadian lots, of, guys, lots yeah. of Canadian comics have come out of that city so it is a little bit of a scene so we wanted to talk to him about it and we did and uh, yeah it was uh, it was good <laughs> You know, he's a pretty dry guy on, on I don't know how much we'll use, Ooh, but oh. Howard, he was pretty, you know, dry. He's and, a very soft-spoken person, yeah. but do you think he sat down there expecting to get attacked? No. No? No. I think, I don't know how much of those interviews... I could have been a lot more attacked. I could have well, attacked him a lot but more. But it was sort of like the Mark Breslin interview. I mean, how how confrontational are you going to be to your boss? And also, not just that, but it's like, who fucking, some, some of these people who listen to our show aren't going to care. Well, that's, Some of the, the personal issues, they don't care about. Well, we'll probably only play, like, maybe some of the highlights of those interviews, because right. definitely they're pretty dry, and yeah. uh, we'll just play the sort of the more confrontational parts. Um, so about three minutes. And then uh, Dar <laughs> Darren reminded me uh, a number of times before the Don Kelly interview, not to speak in uh, Manette voice. Yes, and, yes, yes. And I, I managed to get through that. You without, got through it very well, yeah, actually. Without offending anyone. It wasn't but, awkward at all. No, not at all. No. no I, was, uh, I was quite... Uh, Probably the most awkward is when I, I said, how come Whitey didn't take everything from you? I think I said once to him. Remember? That was kind of awkward. Yeah, that came out of you, not even yeah, out of me. Exactly. Um, and uh, I... 
are you going to put together theater shows sometime for yourself? Because you, how often do you play a club and go, wow, that was a great experience? Not very are you, often Are you going anymore. to make the theater show jump? I don't know if my act can really uh, sustain theater tours. I mean, me and, and Kenny Robinson have been joining forces and doing a bit of a cross-country where we're getting really good numbers in certain markets, and that might be able to do it. But you know what? To, you really have to be a giant name, like a Jim Jeffries or, you know, um, even Doug Stanhope was only playing venues of four to six hundred in uh, Canada and North America. So it's not the easiest jump. No, but are you going to try to venture to do the four and six hundred? I've, I've done I've done up to like, you know, two or three hundred in various towns on my own and some have worked and some haven't. I mean, that's the nature of the beast. And I think as I just get older and shittier comedy clubs and shittier comedy clubs, I'm going to have to or quit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. So what? What? Uh, so that might—that's gonna be something that you do. Yeah, but you know the amount of time and energy it takes. It's easy for comedy to go fuck this comedy club is shit. I'm just gonna come in and do one show in front of you know 800 people. It's like no, dude. You know how hard it is to even to get 100 people out sometimes. No, no, Unless I know. you know, it's it's a very hard thing. It takes a lot of work and a lot of time. I've done shows where I have booked my own show and lost two grand. Right. And it's like, are you willing to lose two grand? You have to be able to say yes. But this weekend, I mean, are you taping a DVD this coming weekend? At Originally, I was going to in the Toronto Club, but my vasectomy has pushed me back a couple months because the month of September, and now my balls are, are pussing, and now I have to go in Thursday morning that and should get be the, drained. That should be the... <laughs> pussing balls? Yeah, or yeah. drain my balls. Drain my balls. Yeah. And yeah. What, didn't you... Uh, weren't you in a Molson Canadian commercial, and the theme of the commercial was... Uh, no, that was Ring My Bell. Ring not, My Bell. Not, not, not Drain My Balls. Not Drain My Balls. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I would like to see you do theater shows because uh, it's just... Uh, yeah, but I understand the the the, the comfort of uh, just showing up to a room. Yeah, but but then it must get aggravating when you're just when you want to ring. Look, Howard the comedy Wagons. club didn't even Facebook this event till Friday afternoon. Once I complained about it, right. Well then, but, I mean, there you go. I mean, they don't care that I'm there. They don't care the kind of comedy I do. Yeah, I'm no different than last week's comic or the comic before. My show is no different. It's interchangeable, which is what any comedy club that doesn't want to give uh, credit to the comics and want to just take it all for themselves. Uh, it's not one of the things I'm a fan of of our business in this country. But you know, what am I going to do? Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know. Anyways, let's get well, off that. But you you, you wanted to practice uh, for your weekend here, and yeah. I know that there weren't times where you were able to do that, and right. you just kind of had to play to the uh, idiots that were in the room. Actually, you sent some of those idiots were our fans. Yes, they were. Yeah, yeah. a couple well, we of them. Well, they uh, in the group. They weren't the ones being loud, but they came up and apologized yeah. afterward and said they were fans of the show. Uh, now, another thing that happened uh, was this uh, on uh, the uh, last Friday. The the guy jumping from space. Uh, that was Felix? Saturday, I believe. Felix? Wasn't it? I think it might have been. I think it was supposed to be Friday because I know that there were some people going live to air trying to watch it on. But right. it was, if it ended up being on Saturday, but it's unbelievable. You saw it, right? The yeah. guy jumping. It's it's a pretty amazing. I mean, I don't want to say it's like our first man on the moon type thing, but oh, I was. No, it's not our first. Well, man I on... mean, it's it's a pretty amazing thing. It's do you remember not the where same... you were? I don't. I don't. I was know, in right. my living room yesterday. I remember. <laughs> yes, of course I do. You know what's sad? There's so much shit now that people will look back and go, "Oh yeah, I was in my living room in front of my computer yeah. when I found out." September 11th. I was yeah. waiting to go do something and I remember yeah, yeah yeah I remember all those things it's just not as exciting as uh, Princess Diana was. died I was at a strip club and uh, you know I was at a, a stag for a guy and uh, the dancer walked by and there was a big screen television and they're showing clips of you know the, the crash scene and all the strippers are crying and they wouldn't walk by she was a princess I loved her so much does anybody want to dance and I'm like yeah, you know a crying stripper doesn't really do it for me 
Oh, okay. I thought you turned to her and say, "Oh my God, can you believe Princess Diana died?" And then she was like, "Oh my God, that's terrible." Do you no, want no, to she dance? knew. She was. So all, she knew. She walked okay. by crying and. Oh, I like the version uh, of my story of what happened to you before because okay. I thought you asked her. No. Okay. Well, no. if she knew, then that's not so bad. But yeah. but then did you take her up on a dance? No, I don't want a crying stripper. No, oh, I want she, a strong-minded stripper. I want her to you like a, her job. You that want a, moment. A, a confidence. Yes. Yes. I don't want someone who had to travel in a boat and is trying to feed their children in another country and they don't want to strip. I don't, she came from, would have traveled No, I'm, I'm saying, the whole okay. idea is I want a stripper who wants to be there stripping. Oh, I don't think many of them do. I think most of them are feeding a, a drug habit or their right. children are captured somewhere and they want to get them released by the end of their shift. Yeah, maybe. Um, what else is going on? Uh, there's a, uh, oh, there's an article in uh, today's Toronto Sun about Toronto the Good uh, uh, in regards to uh, Canadians and road rage. Do right. you have any fantastic road rage uh, stories? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I you know the average, you know, getting the finger from people and some yelling or whatever, but nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. Con- considering how much I drive, you'd think I'd have way more, but no. But the uh, whole idea that we're not as nice as people think we are—I've been saying that for years. Canadian travelers have become cunts a lot, a lot worse than they have been at any time. And sometimes I'm even embarrassed to be Canadian. Like when I was in Cuba and other kind of countries like that, the Canadians act like fucking just retards. Well, because we. Used to always be able to disguise ourselves as Americans the same way that sometimes Americans would disguise themselves yes. as Canadians. Yes. Do you want to tell this story about being in the and the tour guide in Cuba? Oh, just when I was in Cuba, what happened was um, I was on a tour and they were talking about uh, Shea and the importance of him to che their, Guevara. Che Guevara, yeah. uh, the importance of him to their history. And there was this drunk Canadian at the back um, and he's just like interrupting all the time. And finally he was saying something very important about the history of it. And the Canadian guy yells out, he's not even, he's not even from here. He's Venezuelan. And then he laughs and he drunk high fives the guy next to him. And it's like, really, do, do you think that you know more of a history like that guy didn't know that you, you drunk fucking tool and die operator from Saskatoon knows more about Cuban history than the third year university history major that's taking us on this tour. You mean the Cuban gu- tour guide wasn't like, oh, let's go pull over to the textbook store and rewrite some shit. He's not Mexican. Dave. Oh, I know. He's that's, not Mexican. I don't know my limit of uh, accents is a. Uh... Yeah, but I mean, exactly. Like, what did the guy think he was going to do? Oh, my God, he's right. Pull the van over. Pull it over. I've been wearing this this fucking beret like a douchebag all my life for no reason. Some typos in our old books. Did you try to fake a British accent for the rest of your trip? Yes, yes, I did, yeah. (laughs) Oh, oh, not from... I uh, don't know where I am. Oh, governor. I had a... Chimney. I don't, Mary Poppins is still the reference for everyone when they're trying to... I only did that because you did the Mexican thing. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Um... I, uh, I had, and you're also known as the Speedy Gonzalez of comedy, so I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I won't go there. Um, one thing I had, I had an experience uh, a little while ago. I was uh, driving, and this woman obviously, like, she tried to cut me off, but basically, she was trying to be the same asshole as I usually am when I'm driving. Oh, right. And uh, so she got behind me, and I'm always big on like, if someone cuts one car length in front of me, I'm always like, "Are you fucking serious? Are you home now because you got one yes, car length yeah. in front of me?" So she was trying to do the same thing. She gets behind me. I can hear her screaming. She rolls down her window when she's up beside me, and then she's screaming at me. And then she, I'll, I'll give her balls for getting out of her car and walking. Walking towards mine, mm-hmm. and I think she thought I was just going to be like, oh, "I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I cut you off." But then she co- comes up to she comes up to uh, the side of my car and she's yelling about, "Really? I was trying to cut into you." And I said, "No, you know, you didn't fucking, you didn't, you didn't signal. Uh, it's my right of way." And uh, then she was like, "You could have a little common courtesy." And uh, I just told her, and I I felt bad afterwards, but um, I just said, "Go home, cunt." 
Right. And I just really, there's really nowhere to go after that. No. Because she was probably going to get in her car and go right. home, and she probably knew that she was a cunt. You know what? I don't like using that word uh, towards, Which one? towards women. Home? Cunt. Oh, no. Okay. But you know what? If someone came up to me like that, and they were in the wrong, and they were yelling at me and saying you know words, then I'd be like, just go fuck yourself. You cunt. I got no problem with it. Okay. Well, you know what my theory is? Is, is anytime uh, that a woman gets really mad at yeah. you using that C word, yeah. uh, it's probably because she knows deep down inside that she is one. Right. Yeah. Nice. Well, we're going to end with that. Okay, I'm great. saying it's a nice ending. I think that is a nice ending. Yeah, it is a nice ending. I'll it's talk a about, very very hallmark ending. I'll talk about my issues with pro-lifers next. Yeah. And okay. we're going to talk about that other video that's gone viral, the, the punch on the, the, the uh, bus. Oh, the the, uh, the, 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 the cold-cocking uh, Cleveland uh, guy. Yeah. Okay. So we'll talk All about right. that in we'll talk the other that. segments. Uh, but now we have to go for a break. Uh, our guests today are writer Andrew Clark and comedian Casey Corbin is going to be joining us. Mm-hmm. Hey everyone, it's Angry Depression Hour. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost and Dave Martin. Hey, this is Dave Davidson. You're listening to Anything Goes with Darren Frost and Dave Martin on Laugh Attack on Sirius XM. When did you become Dave Davidson? Just now. Just now? (laughs) Thank you very much. Better than crack whores. They never stay the whole hour. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost and Dave Martin. All right, we are back uh, in the studio. Uh, this is the week of October 17th. Uh, this is Anything Goes with Darren Frost. We are uh, Christina Walken shot list uh, this week. Uh, in the studio, we have a writer and uh, what's your title at Humber College, Andrew Clark? I am the director of the Humber College Comedy Program. Ah. Uh-huh. Fascinating. You were just giving us a quick uh, rundown on your opinion about the uh, the man who jumped from Earth down to Earth. What was your uh, What were your thoughts on him? Uh, you know, I, it's not something I would do. It was interesting. <laughs> you, would, you wouldn't line up for it. You no. didn't have this idea before him. <laughs> no, like I said, I'm kind of scared of water slides. Uh, I don't go on rides at the X. So I'm like, you know, I would go to. I would. The worst I would do is drink iced tea at, on the top bunk, or or, or like bed. eat a cheeseburger and then jump in a pool. Yeah, okay. something like that. Yeah. You are yeah. a wild so, man. Good for him. Right. Well yeah, done, yeah. but yeah. not too much my thing. Isn't I, it interesting that it's sponsored though? That's the one thing that I found very interesting about it is that it's Red Bull did it. Red Bull did it, and it's like anything else. He never had that kind of product placement. It is one of the ultimate product placements that I've seen in a long time. Well, you heard about James Bond. I mean, how much money Heineken uh, yes. paid for. Uh, for James, and Bond, yeah. For him to walk up to a bar in the movie order and order a Heineken, they paid something like, what is it, 20 mil or yep. 7 million or something? like. And they got they got in trouble for it, and then, you know, even Daniel Craig had to say, look, these movies cost a lot of money, and this is how they're made, and, you know, what's the big deal? He drinks this kind but of beer. It's also sort of the new vaudeville, which is the, all the money that Red Bull spent on that, in the past, they might have put in a TV show. Right. Right. But they can get this enormous market share and buzz. Everyone's talking about Red Bull. Sure. So they're putting it into Harry Houdini. Right. Know? So it's uh, it's kind of a strange and sad phenomenon in terms of entertainment. It does make uh, David, uh, is it David Blaine? Yeah, it David makes, Blaine. It makes him look like a bit of a sideshow. He's a pussy sad compared side to that. Sideshow pussy freak living in an ice block not with very, electricity going through him. Not very tough. No. No. The uh, But David Blaine goes down water slides. Yeah. yeah. I know that for a fact. 
And he eats cheeseburgers in a pool. <laughs> oh, no, he doesn't even jump. Yeah, I'm not oh. going to try to tag you guys. I'm going to sit here and be the straight man. But you got your comedy lingo. You get your tagging things. Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. that? Uh, do you ever uh, like sit in on a class at Humber College? Oh no, I would never. No, yeah. Uh, you know, I did pick up a few things. And that, and you, that was well, just, sar- just that was so sarcasm. Everyone, I just you know, saw. Yeah, too. but just I, everyone I, knows. Before you even did the, the Humber College, you've been covering comedy for 20, 25 years. Yeah, I probably started around ninety one, ninety two. Okay, so, so I a, did pick up. You know, for few... 20 years you were doing, you know, you've been covering comedy. Yeah. For 15 of them outside of the Humber, I would yes. say roughly, right? Yeah, uh, I worked mostly, I, I went full time in 2007. Right. And prior to that, I worked almost exclusively freelance. I did, I was a senior writer at McLean's for a while and I was managing editor at The Walrus for a while. Uh, but yeah, pretty much writing. And then my. Uh, you know, my first big thing was writing at iWeekly, which is now gone, uh, about comedy. Right. I, I kind of saw when I started writing. Now, weren't you the first person that was dedicated to only yeah, covering stand-up comedy? That's right. right? right. Yeah, right. basically, I started writing there. I wrote whatever I could. Sure. Um, and then I really loved comedy. I'd always been in. I'd, ran, I'd run a comedy club in, in England. Mm-hmm. And you run a you ran a comedy club in England? Yeah, the Canal Cafe in Maidavale. Oh, I, I learned something new every day. Yeah, I didn't and know you know, that. in London at the time, there was Malcolm Hay writing for Time Out right. about comedy in an right. in, in an interesting, not in a pompous way, but the idea was to be thoughtful about comedy, but not kill the chaotic fun spirit. Right, know? right. And so I kind of looked at that, and I and I and I looked at Toronto, and it was really like um, a gold rush. It was like a gold. I don't whatever analogy you want to have. Things were, good. Things were definitely have. good back then. Yeah, but also it was like all this talent that was ignored. So right. uh, you know, uh, some obscure folk singer comes into town and they do a big page on them, right. and then uh, a comedian comes into town and you can't they can't get any coverage. So being an alternative weekly, we were like, let's get on this. And I lobbied very hard and and uh, eventually got a weekly column. And to me, that was really important that I I had a place every week. That that people could 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 hear could read me about comedy that was right a shine a light on something that needed to be shined. Well, on. it was a discussion. The whole right. idea was it was supposed to be a discussion that I was guiding, and that each week they would come back to be part of the discussion, and then I could raise issues, points. It wouldn't just be reporting scores when you're covering baseball. Right, right. That was the idea, and and it like of course. There was a great community, and it was a cool thing, and and so I think people kind of got into it. I think I think it is it's still a, a great community in Toronto, and there's still loads of venues that you can go to, and actually probably more, much more. There's more Way comedy more. going on now, and yet when you were writing, uh, there were more comedy writers. Uh, I mean, they, you had Jim near Slotek, the end. You well, near the end. What happened was when I started, there was very few. Jim Slotek would mm-hmm. write about comedy. That He's was been about a guest it. on our show too. Yeah, I heard yeah. it, um, and uh, and then it reached its sort of peak. In around 98, mm-hmm. right. 99 maybe, um, I left the star, and I'd had issues there in that the union um, was constantly challenging my right to work there as someone who was non-union. Right, So they right. would grieve my articles and stuff. And there was a new editor there who felt that comedy wasn't something that people wanted to hear about every week. And so I took a job at McLean's, which was great. I was thrilled with. But then I stopped writing about it on a weekly basis at that right. point. And I, I, I think that what happened was once one column went, then another one went and another one went. And I, I have to say there wasn't a big um, 
chorus of angry letters issued from comedians to the newspaper editors saying, hey, where's our coverage? Yeah, well, what, but I mean... And that was it. Yeah, what, what, is that, what does that tell you about comics, though? I mean, we... we well, do you really think, though, that if like 10 or 15 of the big comics in town uh, kind of like uh, took the Metallica stance on Napster, said, hey, you know, we're going to f- be the forefront to make sure that comedy is, is uh, you know, written about and keeps on being written about because if, if, if we don't say something, there's going to be no future stars in comedy because that's the way we came up. And do you think if 10 or 12 of them got together and wrote all these these papers, something would have been done? Yeah, how much of a sway does a letter campaign... I, I, I would say it's hard to say. It would have had some effect. Right. Um, and it just, when I meet, I meet people who say, oh, I wish you were still covering comedy yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff. Well, you know... Um. Yeah, you do, but uh, it it has it lacks a certain credibility. Well, mm-hmm. I, can I ask you? Because uh, I tried to get a, a, an answer out of Glenn Sumi, and he wouldn't give me one. But how did you? How do you feel as a as a as a writer back then when you knew that a, a comedian would call you or try to get in touch with you, and they and you could and you knew that all they wanted was an article? Did that ever bug you? No, because I mean, I, because you no. you became. I mean, that's kind his of, job, though. There ha- that has to come with the job. I know, but you know, I mean, what. Some of the comics would consider you a friend, and you were, did. You, were you ever? Did you ever get really yeah. into the mix with comedians no, and hang out? And... I, I felt I, what I felt like I was always friendly, right, with the comedians, right. But you have an odd relationship, right. So you have to accept. You you cannot confuse your job for you, right. In other words, when you're a critic, you have an inordinate amount of power over people, and they both want that you to have that and resent it, mm-hmm. right. And they're gonna be nice to you. Um, because of that, right, and you know, and, and, and they're the, those be you write sometimes. nicely about are going to be nice to you, and those that you probably wrote not nicely about are probably going to say, "Well, what the fuck does he know?" It depends. I mean, I think that's true, and I think as a comic, you just have to accept that the thing that you you have to keep is your credibility. In other words, I've written positive things about people I personally dislike. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, Person from and act, that, I get that. You know, yeah. because but this is something that's changed in terms of writing about comedy now. When I started writing about comedy, I. I I consciously did not enter the comedy world as a performer. Mm. I'm not saying I had a burning desire. Right. But I I was like, well, I cannot be doing stand-up. I cannot be doing sketch comedy because I'm writing about these people. Right. And I'm supposed to be objective. Right. And therefore, if I'm part of this, I'm not objective. So I can't do it. Now, the vogue is for you to be a comedian who interviews comedians or writes about other comedians. And it's a, just a different way of going at it. It would never right. have occurred to me. It would well, have never occurred to me. Yeah, I mean, but I know comics always get their ass in a bunch when they sort of like, hey, why, why is that guy uh, writing about comedy or why is that guy interviewing comedians? He's not a comic. He doesn't know where they're coming from. But, really? I mean, it, have you ever heard that? Yes, I have. Well, I can tell you who I heard that from. No, you don't have to say names. I just... I. I, I I can understand someone saying, oh, you know, what does he know, using that as the reason right. why maybe they're not getting an article or, or they're saying someone I don't think is funny and why they think it's funny. I can see that. But I've never heard anyone say, well, he's not a comic. He can't write about it. Well, okay. There was uh, Jason Agnew, one of our previous guests. Right. He had a show on CFRB 1010 about okay. comedy. And there was a guy that uh, – there was a, a comedian, actually a, a popular guy – uh, at one point, or he still is, I guess, in certain degrees. But he said uh, well, he shouldn't be doing a show about comedy. He's not a comic. And I, then my argument is, well, then there would be no sports reporters. So it's just... but I, it, it, I think it just shows a fundamental um, ignorance about what it is a critic does. Right. Well, exactly. I mean, but, you know, the, the ba- basically criticism is a part of the whole art form. Mm-hmm. And you have a very specific role as a critic. And you're part of that discussion. 
And you're, you know, there's been a number of articles written lately sort of defending the notion of being a critic. And when I hear, uh, it doesn't really mean if it, it's, it's the same thing whether it's comedians or novelists or whoever, this idea of getting press, I got this article, you got that article. It really isn't about the those people. It's about the reader. Mm-hmm. As a right. critic, your obligation is to your reader. You know, and I love comedy, so I was, you know, obsessed with trying to figure it out and figure out what was sure. going on and not just say, so-and-so is funny and I'm now going to quote uh, five of his jokes and pretend I made, I'm witty and I made them up. Right. I'm going to do the, you know, what the hell's wrong with comedy or, and then there's the Jekyll and Hyde show. I'm not saying that that's like my, you know, doing, but my idea was to provoke people a bit too, not just... Um, well, that, you brought say, up something you know, very interesting there. Up. I don't know if there is that much, and maybe it's you know me because I fall into that category of comic, but I don't think there is a lot of provoking these days in when it comes to being a critic and judging comedy or writing about comedy because I find most of it very um, cheerleadery and not a lot of point of view. Mm-hmm. For me, I've been I've been criticized, and when I did Montreal, I talked about this before, the one critic attacked me for things I thought was fair. They, all I do is yell and scream, and that's fair. If that's what you watch me and you think that's all I do, you know, I, I think I do more than that, but at least that's something that makes sense, that I can go, well, you know, she didn't get it, oh well. But when you kind of say something that I'm like is off base and doesn't make sense, that's when the kind of red flags go off. Like you compare him someone to, you know, it's to say Dave is very much like a dirty Brian Regan or something. That makes oh, no well, sense to you, me. Thank no, you, Darren. No, but what I'm saying is that's that so makes nice no sense you. to me. You know, it's like I wouldn't say that. That's So you do owe it to your reader, but I don't know if there's that much provoking and that much analysis of comedy going on. Yeah, I mean, well, for me it was sort of I'm not going to sort of antagonize people. No, no, but, but I mean but expanding the idea yeah, of when talking I, you know, about when it. When I started writing, I would write stuff that wasn't, say, positive about everything to do with Yuck Yucks. And sure. I've gotten a lot of heat for that. Right. But again, you know, as a columnist, I think a lot of people don't realize if you're not, you know, if you're not getting arrested, you're not, you're not doing enough. If if people aren't angry at you a right. little bit, right? If, you, if you're not, if you, you, yeah, if you're not, God damn it, up. I should be a millionaire. Well, okay, keep going. you know, but the thing is, in a way, you have more leeway in print as as in terms of provoking people than in stand up by that i mean you have uh you 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 hold the attention they right. can heckle you right they can put the paper down oh i see what you're saying but, right of you course you know just as a medium it's yes. a little yes. bit and it's you know but um you know i just think that my feeling was like you had an obligation to your reader and i had a really big obligation i felt like to the comedians if i'm going to publicly criticize somebody right i have an obligation to do it in such a manner that if i see them at a party i can look them in the eye absolutely look i I stand by what i wrote absolutely and i wish you the best absolutely but i'm afraid i feel this way i guess see i got no problem with that when i was in montreal the person who dogged me said to another comic i can't go over there darren frost is over there and i don't think he's very happy with me right now i had people wish me on cfny bowel cancer right (laughs) And then sure. I saw this individual. Did those, wish comes, those wishes didn't come true. No, and I saw the individual. And I said, so, you know, hey, how you doing? And it's like, oh, hi, I'm Andrew Clark. You wish me bowel cancer on the radio. Was, oh, no, that wasn't me. That was someone said, look, man, if you're going to do it, own then, it. Then yeah, go, yeah, 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 exactly. That, you know, that was my character. Yeah. Anyway, but, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that to me is weak. And, and I think now, unfortunately, with the web, uh, all the anonymous stuff, right. yes. I have absolutely no respect for anyone who posts anonymously. Right. Right. Can I I I, it's, I have always supported the role of the critic but mostly because 
I think there's a, a there's there's artists and then there's critics and I don't always think that artists are always the greatest at explaining what what and how they do what they do. You don't think so? No, I don't. I think it's crazy. No, because we've, we've, we've had loads of comics that come in here and then ask them, you know, uh, you know what, what's uh, you know what's your process, and and that most of them don't even can't explain it. And then, but then it does take like a like a critic or someone who's has a, a greater knowledge of stand up. There's different varieties. There's different yeah. varieties of of comic or artist. So there are some that are very conscious of their right. artistry, and they they actually get off and breaking it all down, and they can give you almost like a, a doc, their MA thesis on how they do it. And there are equally creative and talented people who really don't know. Yeah, right. but, but that's you know, where you step in and then you can break it down. That's the job of the, the critic. Right. I, but that's I, what I, he's I, saying. But I you see, that's, that. But what I think what some comics have a little bit of trouble with, and a lot of writers, but not quite so much writers, is that when you write a book, you understand that once you're once it's published, it's not really yours anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. In other words, somebody else can read it and to them... It's about X. It might have been something completely different to you, but they're equally relevant. They're equally, you know what I mean? So there's, there's this idea of like, yeah, I, I, you, you surrender your art in a way when you give it up. So I think that, you know, it's easier for, for critics to be able to be distant and sort of look and say, well, what's going on now and where do you fit into this? And, you know, when I did uh, my first book, Stand Deliver, it was all about Canadian comedy and why is it happening the way it's happening and how did it get here and how did it evolve and all that kind of stuff. And you're really trying to put people in a context. You know? And how old is that book now? It was in 90... 97. Right. So it's getting on. Right. Well, okay, because I, there's a, a documentary that came out. And we might end up speaking to this documentary guy, the guy that did uh, Alone Up There, yep. which is a documentary about stand-up comedy. And my issue is... Uh, now, I don't know what his intentions were when he started the documentary, but at a certain point, he always asks, he asked a couple of the comedians, well, how am I going to really get to know stand-up comedy? And then all of them, of course, say, well, you're not going to get to know stand-up comedy until you try it. So he goes out and he tries it and they film it and then he, he bombs. I'm, it's no spoiler alert there. Uh, but uh, my issue is whenever a, a writer or a documentarian puts themselves as the subject matter along with the subject matter that they started off with, it's like he did that documentary and then he put himself into it, but and you kind of did the same thing with uh, stand and deliver. There was Montreal. There was chapters where it talked about your personal experiences at the Just for Last Festival in Montreal. Yep. I mean, did you ever get flack for that? Because it's not so much a now. It's not so much a book about comedy. Now it's about you in comedy. Well, I tried. I think you know if you go through it, I was there as as the narrator observer, right? And so the idea being that I'm by being present there, I could describe. And bring the reader to places, you know, like as as a technique. Uh, it's like a 19th century uh, fiction technique, mm-hmm. and uh, that was my decision to try to write it like that, r- rather than writing it really dry, kind of third person. Now, I think now maybe if I was going to try again, I might do something a little differently because hopefully I'm a little better writer. Right. You know, by the time when I started working on that book it was 95, 96. I've been writing professionally four or five years. So, Big difference you know, in 20 years, yeah. You know, but I, I, I think that, that that was the theory behind it. You yeah, know, I, and I, I was supposed to be young and hip then. I was like, so, you're I don't still know, 26, young and hip now. 27. Right. Right. So, right. uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was part of the way that I went. Um, my second book, I, I did completely third person, so I wasn't involved at all. I was involved a little bit at the beginning, 
just a tiny bit to sort of set it, and then I was gone. Well, see, I don't, I don't have any real issue with people when they put themselves into the subject matter like that. But it's always just, I, I haven't seen the documentary talking about. It. I would say it's that, disappointing in the documentary because I was like, I'm. It's just, it seemed like, oh, his intent was to be a comedian uh, all this time, and I, now he's. I don't think you can say you're a singer if you sing a Christmas Carol once, right? And I think that having been around comedy a long, long time, um, and seeing, you know, the the work. Everything that goes into it, you know, it's not going to be a one-shot deal. Yeah, to, to me, know I, think, what it's like. I think the guy's heart was, I mean, we are going to talk about the yeah, documentary in another. Yeah. I think his heart was in the right place, but when you interview enough comics saying how hard it is, I think people know how hard it is. They don't need to see someone struggle the first time. That's that's what that's how I felt about that part of that documentary. Yeah. See, I, I just yeah. felt in that documentary he didn't like he he knew how hard it was going to be. Right. No, what I know. What did he really get out of it? Right. But no, we'll, I, yeah. We'll talk to but him the, another time, yeah. but yeah. Well, the other thing I wanted to bring up, because uh, Dave was in your documentary yes, that you was. did for the National Film Board. Yeah. Can, can I just quickly, before Darren asks this yeah. question, I just want to say that uh, DVD is one of the few DVDs that is at the Montreal Comedy Nest uh, condo. Not anymore. At, there is no condo. But for years, that was the only okay. one. Okay. Yeah. For years, that would come out. And then So I would get comics coming back to Toronto, and they'd be like, oh, man, I had no idea that you went went uh, that you went out with Christine Von Hagen. And then, oh, man, was that ever fucking awkward, man, in that documentary when the two of you broke up on camera? And then, man, and it was, it was like, yes, 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 that's 10 fucking years ago. All right, okay. It was just, it, it was just funny that okay. that okay. Yeah. a okay, new audience keeps let's, coming let's back. Let's explain what it is for the people so now that you said all that uh you it was a three or six part it was a three we, part. we did three a documentary part. called the next big thing right the national film board of canada we followed six comedians for 18 months right and it ended up being three one hours it originally i think had been conceived of as a possibly a feature right but we had so much material that they decided to make it a, a three-part series right. it aired uh, you know in canada and, and in the states on the biography channel and, okay. who, and who was all in it well, Dave Martin, I know, yeah. uh, Christine von Hagen, yeah. Laurie Elliott, Nikki Payne, Sean Majumder, and Jason Rouse, Jason Rouse who, who, who who we selected. Yeah. Everyone but one have been on this show, and we'll leave that alone. Um, uh, and now oh, it's right. been how long? Ten years or twelve years? I think that came out in two thousand three. So, so I think it's about nine years. Nine years old. Yeah. Do you think you could ever do a follow up on those six? I think you could. I don't know that they would all agree to participate. I mean, I think that, I think I'm, ex I am excited that there are more and more documentaries about comedy. Because right. again, when we did that, we were lucky because Jerry Flahive at the NFB uh, was someone who had a good sense of humor, was funny, and he was interested. You just right. have to find someone who gets it. Yeah. You know, that's the hard. That's really uh, hard. Though. But I'm really like, like with the success of like the Aristocrats. Yep. Is that right? Yeah. I always say cats because okay, yeah, because the Disney. And, uh, and like, uh, you know, the, the sleepwalk with me. And stuff. I mean, I just think it's a great time. Um, so I don't know that I would do that again, but I would certainly do another documentary. There's a lot of interesting stuff that hasn't been covered. See, when I watched it, and I knew them all, and they're all my friends. I liked it, but the one thing I felt, and uh, that was a bit of a downfall to it, is most of them, in my opinion, I don't know if they were that they're a bit guarded. I think most of the people that were in that were kind of guarded with what their true feelings were. I think anytime you have a camera, you're not going to get 100% of the truth. You're going to try to get as much as you can. But I just found that most of them, I felt Dave was probably the most honest of them, and I don't even think Dave was 
100% honest in it. Well, I, did you think that mo- a lot of the people in it saw it as a as a career step? Yes, yes, and, I did. And didn't want to look and bad? I'm not, I'm not saying I wouldn't have either back then, but when I watched it, that's that's what I felt. I felt they they, they were willing to show a little bit of the bad side, but not too much because this is I want to be looking like, hey, everything's great, everything's all right, everything's awesome, I'm still going to make it. You know, they don't want to be like, I'm not, this is, I'm playing to 20 fucking people and this is going to be my future probably. That was my only, you know, I still liked it, mm-hmm. but that was the one thing I, I felt. Because there's now a documentary coming out uh, in Vancouver of these guys that are not very funny, but they're still chasing their dream. And it's, you know, just them bombing over and just showing. Yeah. And that's you know, a, that's that, that'll be interesting. It's a, it's a somewhat different thing because our pitch was that these were people who might. The idea was to see that. No, I get that. that you know. I get that. But I still think that people were kind of guarded at that time. Probably. And, and didn't want to show the negative aspects of stand-up too much because it was a bit of a vehicle for them. Yeah, it's possible. It's also that we, we had a film crew. Yep. Uh, so that also will always inhibit people a little bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. well, people I, act a lot different than when the yeah. camera's on. Yeah, I mean, I, they get used to it, but, yeah. you know. I have, a, I have issues with, and hopefully we'll talk to that documentary filmmaker that's making the no-joke one. Sure. It just seems even weirder to me that this documentary is portraying these people as not funny, and yet they're getting behind it almost as, like, and they're using this... Uh, it's, it is weird, yeah. Uh, but, but they're using it as a vehicle of, like, look at me in this thing where it's not showing me off we, as the person that I want to be. We we were we shot the next big thing in 2000 and 2001 mm-hmm. and the web was really not yeah. yet fully happening so right. it's a different era right. I mean, it, there wasn't there was not yet the whole being famous for being famous wasn't yeah. entirely yeah. Yeah. and the ability to make a feature documentary now in terms of budget and everything is so much less now. That yeah. is another reason why you have such a huge... We had a big uh, budget. Yeah, no. We had a good budget. Yeah. And also it was made at a time when people really... Uh, the I guess the idea of people wanting to be famous just for just being personalities uh, wasn't such a, a big thing back, no, back then, then either. No, back and, and, and now it's just sort of like you ask someone, oh, someone is like, oh, I got a blog and I make videos and I do this and they're all up on YouTube. I'm like, okay, well, what are you? Oh, I'm just me. And that fucking drives me fucking well, nuts. I do want to bring up one thing, and it's attached to that because uh, you are the director of Humber, well, yeah. and um, the one thing I, I, you know, you're around all these young comics, and these comics are signing up because they want to, you know, um, expand their careers and look at other things like script writing, and start all that, a career, and, or start a career maybe. Um, you know, Humber gets a lot of uh, criticism for uh, there's a lot of people who don't believe that you can teach someone comedy. Uh, do I personally think that you can teach stand-up comedy? I think you can teach the basics. I think it's all about stage time. That's my personal opinion. But whenever anyone has asked my opinion, like a young comic, should I do it? I always say to them, I would do it if you're going to use every facet that they're offering. Like, I would take clowning. I would take sketch. I would take improv class. I would take everything that is offered yeah, and be in the stand-up classes, but also realize that you're probably going to learn more about that because that's your true passion, doing sets. But everything else under that umbrella is only going to help your stand-up career. And one of the things that we always battle with here about young comics is they're they're so quick to want to be famous or get their stuff out on YouTube and, and show out, even if it's a shitty set, hey, check out my eight minutes at Yuck Yucks, bombing, you know? And that's such a, a, a prevalent thing amongst young comics. But I also think how people want to be personalities just as much today as, like, comedians or artists on any level. It's just like they don't want to seem to put the time into their craft they want to just almost like look at me i'll watch watch the evolution of my comedy just as much as like hey well here i am five years down the road now i'm actually as semi-decent or 10 years down the road and i'm an acceptable comic and people just want to be seen too quickly yeah i mean our position is that comedy is an art 
and art can be taught. You can't teach talent, right? But you can certainly teach the art, the fundamentals. Yeah, and and we're a two-year program, and we are broad. That's our big sell. That's yes. really what we're kind of about. Yes. The other thing that we're really about is performing outside of the school. So not only do we expect them to do our yuck yucks night. Um, but we really, if you're into stand-up, we really kind of expect you to be out four or five nights a week um, doing it. And, you know, we tell them up front uh, that that this is just a two-year thing, and they have to expect to be out doing at least six, seven years after they leave before they're any good or making any money. Right. Right. And if you're not really committed to that, then it's probably not going to be for you. Now, part of what I think we do... Uh, is say uh, that, you know, we're a two-year program. A lot of people come to from high school. Um, If we have someone who goes through the program and after two years decides they don't want to be in comedy, we don't consider that a failure. No, no, no. No. In that the point is we're a two-year diploma program and a lot of the skills that we teach are actually quite transportable uh, to other fields. So people talk about, well, how come everybody who doesn't graduate uh, isn't how come everyone who graduates isn't Jim Carrey or whoever? Right. Well, the answer is in most performing arts programs, that's not normally how it works anyway. <laughs> right. But also, they go on and do um, like a kid. I would have we would have to spend the rest of the program if I talked about all the different professions people get into. I mean, well, no, I mean that's police the thing. officer, paramedic, uh, yeah. finances. But, but even in even in show yeah. business, someone may go, "I want to be a stand-up comic." They do it for a couple of years and go, "Man, these are all fucking idiots and broken people." I'm hanging out with. I actually find I'm writing for television and I want to write for television after taking this score. And then they go and do that. Yeah, and you know, you can sometimes tell. You get a feeling about people about. You know who may be in, right? Because comedy really is like you're on for life, right? You're, you're, right. You don't you don't have a backup plan, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, if you do, yeah. you, you tend to take it. And the ones I can, it's we try to prepare them. It's hard, but no one can really be fully prepared for the the basic ambivalence of the world when you leave school. Right. And the I'll wh- sell it. I'll, the only thing I say is like you're expecting the world to try to get in your way when you graduate. We're gonna stop you. We're gonna. It, that's not how it works. The world just says, hey, we wish you the best. Right. That's harder for most performers to take. It's just no one cares. They yes. hope you do well, and if yeah. you don't, mm, that's okay, too. Yeah. And comics sometimes like to feed off negative energy. They need someone well, to do hear. They? Really? Did, did you hear the, As what? you know, What, right? the corner? What? Did, did you hear the opening segment of the show? Yeah, yeah well, yeah. I, yeah, and I would say that it's weird that, you know, we have a lot of people who we, quote, kick out, and when we kick them out, I'll say, like, look, you don't like being here. Uh, you just want to do stand-up. You don't want to do anything else. Well, why not leave? Because, yeah, no, I agree. Hey, you know, you, you I agree. do it the old-fashioned way. Yeah. Then they leave and they're like, God damn, those guys. It's like, well, I told you to go. Right. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Go follow your fucking dream. That's the way it goes. The, uh, the one thing uh, before we go, uh, and I want to thank you for coming in today, first of all, but I, one thing I wanted to say is that uh, I will give credit to your program because you do teach the business side of it or the or you, you do steer people into the direction of like this is how you can make a career out of this and in the in the sense that you know you get stand ups but you also try to teach them how to do sketch and other and other parts of comedy that that'll benefit them later on it's you know if a, there if there was a humber Dave probably wouldn't have spent four or five years playing to the back of the room he probably would have well, well I was in the one week program yeah. when humber started yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah well there was like I would say a lot of our graduates are writers like yeah. like uh Ben Kerr, Rebecca Adelman's writing for The New Girl. Yeah. Uh, Bob Kerr. Bob Kerr, sorry. I didn't right. say Ben Kerr. Ben Kerr is a totally different animal. I don't know who that is. But... On. Um, Bob Kerr, like, you know, there's oh, a lot ben, of... Ben Kerr was the old uh, yeah, guitar guy. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah. He's not here anymore. That's okay. Uh, but, uh, 
you know, there's a lot of people who, who but again, I think we're almost like a law degree, if you want to, by that I mean you still have to article and work and work yeah. and work to make partner. But one you know? thing that Darren and I were talking about over the weekend while we were in Ottawa is just that the, I think at, at one point in comedy you just had to work on your craft and you had to just be a new writer and you had to work on your performance and then the industry will find you. And the game has sort of, the game has changed a lot since then and there are a lot of guys that uh, have been doing stand-up for like 20 years that don't sort of have the background or some of the principles that you might teach yeah. at your school. Yeah, well, and you know, we we teach and they wish that they would format and stuff. right yeah i think i think it's valuable but again we have you know graduates who who now are writing on series but they still left and had to figure it out you exactly. know right i don't think you can learn everything in two years and i mean i would say one of the things that's changed is when i started writing about comedy i would go to say yuck yucks and see chris finn lawrence morgenstern um glenn foster Ron Vaudry, if he was on the good books at that time <laughs> yeah uh, you know and, and then i would go to i would go the next night to the resort uh, Brent Butt, Mark Farrell, Eric Tunney, you know, Tim Steves. There was a, it was like, it was like the original six. Yeah. And now with all these one-nighters, the one thing that really depresses me is how willing people are to work for no money. Well, and, oh yeah, it's another yeah, whole episode. Yeah, yeah. so, so it, I find that really, and it goes for comedy criticism because everyone's writing a, a yeah, articles, bloggers and, blogs, yeah. but you know, the problem is they never develop because they have to give up because they can't live on it. So right, uh, right. I think you just get one endless flow of new writers who don't really quite get it. Get, they don't get the time in the trenches, right? right. Well, hey, uh, Andrew, uh, I want to thank you for uh, coming in. Uh, we're going to get you back in another time. Yeah, for sure. We, we, I have we could so keep, many other things to talk could about. We could keep talking about this shit. Uh, but if people want to get in touch with you uh, as just an individual or as a humber person, uh, how can they find you? Well, I mean, I have a website. Okay. <laughs> AndrewClark.ca. That's a yep. Um, and then andrew.clark at humber.ca. All right, my, well, great. Uh, well, go and check out uh, Andrew Clark and all the, uh, you finish it off, Darren. What no, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm glad you came by. There's still lots of things that we want to talk to you about. You guys but, were really nice. You know, uh, I don't know yeah. what's happening. What have you done with yeah, uh, David uh, and Darren? Yeah, well, well, yeah. Have, yeah. <laughs> wait till you leave and you hear the last segment. That's yeah. all I say. Oh, that's, that's not very nice. Yeah, well, you behind your back. Behind your back. You yeah. can stay and watch. I'll listen to it later. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll do it on the iTunes like I don't leave. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks. Proving once again cats are smarter than humans, this is Anything Goes with Darren Frost and Dave Martin. This is Graham Chittenden, and you are listening to Anything Goes with Darren Frost and Dave Martin on Sirius XM Radio's Laugh Attack, which means you're probably on your three-month free trial with your new car. Enjoy it while it lasts. Even when you're a star, a punch in the head is still a punch in the head. This is Anything Goes with Darren Frost and Dave Martin. All right, we're back, and this is Anything Goes for the week of October 17th, uh, the final segment of the show. If you did not join us earlier, we had Andrew Clark in here, a writer, and uh, now we have a stand-up comedian I've known for many, many years, uh, Casey Corbin's in the studio. Hey, Casey, how you doing? Hey, Darren, uh, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks doing for having me. Doing all right? Yeah, all right, nice. Okay, all right. It's all good. Um, so you have uh, a lot of stuff going on now. One thing I wanted to talk about right off the top is you have a couple dates coming up that are important. They're, uh, yourself and uh, Rory Scoville are doing uh, Ottawa and Toronto, and that's uh, October... October 21st on the Sunday night in uh, Ottawa at Café de Coeuf. Okay. And uh, Comedy Bar 
uh, the 22nd of October on Monday night. Monday night. Okay. And I know you have a, quite a history with Rory because you guys toured out West. I, I remember I was out West at that same time when you were doing some of your, the crazy videos you guys put up and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, it's almost like a reality show video, kind of, almost, but pre-reality show because it's the two of you. Yeah, it was a web series, and basically it was just, you know, back back when uh, things used to be great, um, yeah. <laughs> all these comics used to be put up in this one hotel in Calgary, and we'd have nothing to do in the daytime, so we just uh, we started shooting a soap opera web series called right. The Apartment, and every comic was great. Got like We got really good performances from Bobby Keel in it, and yeah. Kenny Robinson, and uh, so many great comics participated in it, and we actually shot like... 10 episodes of this right. it just got out of control sure but uh but that today rory and i both agree we we're just saying this this summer this still one of the most favorite things we've done uh, in our comedy well, and you start and you have the silver spoons theme on it which is like yeah it, it's one of those th theme songs because i don't really remember the show that well but i do remember the theme sure. to silver spoons and when the segment starts you're sort of like oh fuck i have to watch this it's starting. It's it's just it's funny, and then the two of you are quite good together. Yeah, we have we we have a great chemistry, and it's just a, the, who we are on stage is who we are off stage. And and I remember John Dore called me up uh, a week before I went out, and he's like, "You're coming out," and I'm like, "Yeah." And he goes, "There's a guy out here you have to meet. He fits right in with us." And it was Rory, and uh, and you know, it's like John set me up with him. Next thing you know, we've been friends since ever since since that was '06. Yeah. And, and one of the things about that era is like, yeah, we'd all be stuck at that hotel with time to kill. And so you guys just kind of did this for fun, which is anytime you do that, you know, a lot of times you look back and those are the moments that you remember because you weren't doing it because the Internet was big. You weren't doing it, you no. know, to make any money. You weren't doing it. It was just, hey, it's Monday. We don't work till Thursday. Someone's got a camera. Let's just go shoot some shit. And that's it. Well, but, I don't I don't even know if the words web series has, had even been invented then, by then. then. It even what happened was. Ba like really what happened was John Doerr called us up and he wanted me to go on to his show, his television show, but I was on tour. He's like, are you with the union? I'm like, no. And he's like, ah. And and then Rory said, ah, don't worry about us. We got our own show and it's going to be on an hour before yours. <laughs> and so he goes, oh, what? And we're like on YouTube. And then, and then he was like, I'd like to see that. And the next thing you know, we hung up the phone. We're like, We've got 24 hours to make a 10-minute short on YouTube, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and we have to make it with substance and about something, and we just overshot. Right. So, so it just each episode kept going in, going in, and going in. And it's the it's the roommates, or it's called the, the, the apartment. apartment. The apartment. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the last times I saw you, um, it was at a concert. Uh, it was a uh, Phil Collins. Uh, I don't want to brag. It was Phil Collins in Toronto, and I was with. Uh, I don't. I have to name drop because it, this, it's this important to the story. Yeah. Uh, I was with two other people that are, are famous Canadians, and um, uh, one is Hugh Dillon, the lead singer with Headstones and from Flashpoint, and the other is Bruce McDonald, who uh, directed Phil Collins' daughter in a movie. So that's why we were all there watching the show. Bruce McDonald also did Hardcore Logo, and Hardcore Logo, and of course, and many yes. other things. And uh, I'm standing with Hugh, and he's got a long jacket on and a hat on, and all of a sudden, this guy just comes running up from behind Hugh and, like, literally, like, football tackles him and just grabs him. Ah! And Hugh looks, turns, and looks at him like he's going to punch him right in the fucking face. And Casey's like, oh, my God, Frosty, Frosty, I thought it was Johnny, I thought it was Johnny, I thought it was Johnny. <laughs> Because I hang out with this other guy who wears a very similar jacket to Hugh and wears the hat, and I'm always hanging out with him. And you thought it was Johnny, my friend, and of course it was Hugh Dillon. And the irony is, like, especially back then, you were a huge Headstones huge fan. Huge Headstones fan. Huge Headstones fan. And you're Still like, am. this is the way I'm meeting the guy from the Headstones. I'm yeah. like fucking football tacking him at a Phil Collins concert. It was, it was, it was, 
what happened earlier before we went to oh, the show right, right. was Johnny Gardhouse drove by us on the Avenue. The guy you thought it was, yeah. And he gave us the finger and we're like, why is Johnny down here when the Phil Collins concert? Right. So, so Tommy Campbell ran up and he was talking to you and I was behind him. So I see Tommy talking to Darren. I see this guy coming that was dressed like Johnny Gardhouse from behind. Yep. I thought Hugh Dillon was Johnny Gardhouse. <laughs> so immediately when I went up and I went up and like, I, I went up and, um, we well, you know when Andre the Giant grabs Bob Euchre oh, do and I ever, shakes yeah. him? Yeah. I went up and did one of those from behind and then slowly turned. Darren's face was like as if you shot his child or something <laughs> in the face with a gun. Like, what are you doing? And Tommy's you like, mean what he was are celebrating? You doing? No, no, he was just, <laughs> he was like, the, the looks on their faces like, what are you doing? And I turn him around and then my face dropped with horror <laughs> because I've seen this guy spit in his bass's face. <laughs> and I'm worried and I, he's going to drop me like that. You know, yeah. like, I was like, oh. And immediately I started pandering to Frosty like, yeah. Darren. I thought it like, was Johnny. I thought it was Johnny. Honestly, I thought. And, nobody- and then I, I got to go, he, 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 I know the guy. I know the guy. I know the guy. And, and nobody at any point was like, uh, "Who's Johnny?" And then, Elda, and then Elda Barge breaks out. Yeah, but later, shitty in the, tune from late, the '80s. But later in the night, we we snuck down to General, and we saw we were joining the studio, the big final number, yeah. and everybody's clapping. And we saw you and uh, Hugh in the audience, <laughs> and Hugh Dillon had the biggest smile on his face and was clapping and singing along, and Darren had his arms crossed and was not singing along. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you it know. It was very funny. Oh, come you didn't want to get into the Phil Collins, Darren. Hey, no, I love, I love Phil Collins. I, there's a whole backstory to that night that does, it ha- does nothing to do with Phil Collins, but uh, we actually got to meet him afterwards, and I regret not getting a photo taken with him because my parents would have been impressed, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Well, was, well, like, was because uh, Casey and I were talking before the show. We were just talking about like when you meet like a childhood idol, right? And I recently at the XM Studios, Ro- Rowdy Roddy Piper was yeah. here. I'm a fucking crazy wrestling fan. Roddy Piper was like one of my idols, and when we met him here, I think he might have been recording his podcast or something, some a segment, something to do with XM, right? And um, and I remember Roddy Piper being like six two. But he's had like knee surgery, hip surgery, sure. back problems, and so he's now like almost an inch shorter than me. He's like five eleven, five ten, and uh, it was still amazing to meet him because he still has that Roddy Piper face. But yeah. it's uh, and he's supposed to be a really good dude. Yeah, he's a really cool guy. Yeah, and uh, oh, a week earlier I met the Sheik and he called me gay and a faggot. So which, <laughs> <laughs> you fucking faggot! Oh, the yin and yang, the, the yin and yang of showbiz. The uh, and then so, but but like then. Uh, and then Casey was started to tell me a story about. Uh, well, I, I was going to tell you that one. Like, okay, I, I my favorite hockey. I had dinner with my favorite hockey player. I'm not going to mention his name. Okay. Um, but but he, but he, my favorite hockey player. He's a Hall of Famer. Okay. And the dinner ended up in us kissing on the lips. <laughs> that didn't I, I go. Don't, I don't think you want to name his name. <laughs> I don't want to name his name. Okay. Also, also, but this is I. Anybody who knows me knows that I'm a huge Van Halen fan. And I got to cook Edward. I actually catered a Van Halen concert in '95, the Balance Tour. Okay. I went to both shows in Toronto, and then I catered the Ottawa one. So I, I got to cook Edward Van Halen his pasta. Right. And uh, I'm bringing it into him when Are I brought it into him. Edward Van Halen. Ed, I don't want to say Eddie and Spaghetti together. Okay. You know, so I get it. So I say He's Edward a fan, and pasta. Dave. So, anyways, uh, it was it was such a fan when the guy was cooking the pasta. I said, "Cook it extra longer because Eddie likes it starchy." And he right. goes, he goes, how do you know this? I'm like, I know. And then Eddie Van Halen came walking up, and I was like, oh, we're just cooking a little extra longer, make it a little starchy. He's like, oh, that's how I love it. I'm like, yeah, cool. Like, I didn't want to let him know that right. I knew. So anyways, I brought this past into him, and when I brought it into him, I couldn't not take the not, you're not supposed to talk to them, but I'm not going to get the opportunity to be in a room right, yeah, alone yeah. with Eddie Van Halen anymore, any, ever again. So I just stopped, and I said, hey, um, 
I just have to say, like, I'm a huge fan, and I love your music, and your music's a soundtrack to my life, and not a day goes on when I don't think of what my life would be like without Van Halen. And he was like, "Oh, he thank said, you get very- the fuck out." Or- no, he said, "Thank you very kindly." <laughs> okay, good. And then, and then he's like, "What?" He's like, "Is that a Van Halen tattoo in your arm?" I'm like, "Yeah." So he, he's come here, and then we put our arms together, and I, he goes, "He goes, yours is better than mine." But I was like, "Yeah, but yours is on your arm," <laughs> you know? which sounded really dumb yeah. and Farley esque. And yeah. uh, so, so he goes, "Hey, after the show, you come see me. We get some pictures, and I'll give you some pics." And everything was cool. Okay. I walked out of there on top of the world. Sure. The road manager pulls me aside. He's like, "Can I talk to you for a sec?" Can I talk to you? And he pulls me aside. He's like, I don't care how many fucking albums you buy or how many concerts you go to. If you ever, if I ever see you talking to one of my friends again, I don't care how big a fan you are. Those are my fucking friends. If you ever talk to one of my friends again, I'm going to knock your fucking block off. And I was like, to go from like on, on cloud Jesus. nine to like being threatened right. to get shit kicked by the road manager. I was like, I didn't know how to react. Anyways, I went to the catering trailer and put my fist through the wall and cried. <laughs> and uh, I had a job to do still. Yeah, of course, yeah. But I, now I couldn't go near the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the road manager's looking out for me. So I had to do all the back scene stuff. And I was like cursing and everything. So And I know now I'm not even going to get an autograph for pics, even though I never wanted them to begin with. Right. So at the end of the night, I noticed all the security guards are getting Eddie Van Halen's autograph. So I send this caterer over to, with, the, with the picture of him. And I was like, go get this guy's autograph. He's like, how do I know which one is him? I was like, he's in the fucking picture. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 And he's like, okay. I'm like, what? I'm like, don't even ask him his name. Just ask him for his autograph. Match it up. So he goes over and he gets and he, and he signs the picture for him. And the road manager sees the caterer getting the autograph. He's like, waves him over. And he's like, can I talk to you for a sec? Oh, no. And he's like, he threatens this guy. Oh, my God. So this guy comes back to me and he goes, you got me in a lot of trouble, man. That road manager, he said he was going to knock my block off. I guess that was his big line. Yeah. He's going to knock my fucking block off right. if, I, if, I ever, if I ever talk to him again. He goes, and he doesn't think very fondly of you either. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, why? What did he say? And he goes, and he, goes uh, he goes, he said if that fat fucking friend of yours comes around, you tell him to stay away too. <laughs> oh. But Eddie Van Halen was the, the best, of course. As, you know, of course. but it was the road manager, yeah, well. you know, that was the dickhead. Well, yeah. you know what? And that guy probably thought, oh, I'm just doing my job. Can I ask you quickly how you got the concert tickets uh, for those front row Van Halen seats? I dropped the Live Nation price for them, like $650 yeah. for them. Because I thought I would get to see that road manager and punch him in the fucking head. Oh, and they weren't bothered. No, no, he was never there. He wasn't because they were the front. They were like front row photographs. Sec- yeah, yeah, and, yeah, second row. And they and Center. Van Halen had no problem with you masturbating uh, while the concert was going. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just cried. I just cried. Yeah, That's the stuff beautiful. at the ends really starts you. How you like it, Eddie? That's what I would have said. <laughs> right, well, here let, let's uh, get in your plugs. Yeah, we gotta we gotta wrap up the show. But you, October twenty uh, first and twenty second, right? Yes, Cafe de Cuff, uh, eight o'clock in Ottawa, okay. and. Uh, Nine o'clock, nine thirty, comedy bar um, here in Toronto. Tickets available on TicketWeb. Okay, it's yourself and Rory Scovel. So please uh, yes. go to YouTube, uh, put in both Casey Corbin and Rory Scovel's name. Check out their clips. Uh, I worked with Rory in two thousand seven, I believe. He actually was in Vancouver. We worked, and he was hilarious then. I know he's considerably funnier now. Just you know, I've seen some of his clips. And uh, you also have a CD that's out on iTunes. Yeah, vampires are popular on iTunes. Okay, and so Amazon. 
uh, for so check out that on iTunes under Casey Corbin. And uh, we are out of time this week. We do want to thank our guests, both uh, Andrew Clark and Casey. Thanks, Casey, for coming by. Thanks, really Ryan, appreciate man. it. And uh, Dave, uh, just quickly, uh, you can find me on the, the uh, web at davemartinworld.com, uh, Twitter, Dave Martin World. I'm on the Facebook. And uh, what else? We uh, we just put up the Mark Breslin episode, and by the time you hear this, uh, the Graham Chitton episode will be up as well. Okay. And on November eighth, we are taping a live uh, broadcast of Anything Goes. We are taping uh, down at the Comedy Bar. Part of the Dark Comedy Festival, so please go to darkcomedyfestival.com and check out for tickets. It's a big uh, festival coming. Jim uh, Norton is going to be here, Maria Bamford and others. Eddie Pepitone. So, Eddie Pepitone. So uh, that's it. And this week I'm in downtown Toronto like anybody fucking cares. So that's it. Good night, everyone. You, we're done. Take it easy.